Hello everyone, I am Samori, your host, and the fellas are here for another episode of SJH Man Cave. In this week's It Takes a Village, Hudson will recount how his daughter constantly steals food from his plate, while Jason reflects on 13 years of marriage and family. Then we'll dive into the main topic of cancel culture and whether it is a positive or negative development for our country. Remember that you can see this and other videos on YouTube at SJH Man Cave. Once you're there, please hit that subscribe button. You can also like, share, and follow us on Facebook at SJH Podcast Family, as well as send us a message at info at SJHManCave.com. As a final disclaimer, please note, we are all Black fathers who sometimes are taking care of our children while recording. You might randomly hear a small child yelling out while we are talking. And with all that being said, let's dive right in. Hudson, you want to go ahead and kick us off? Sure, why not? So what I've been noticing lately, right, is and I noticed it when it first happened. Like I can pinpoint when this exactly happened is now my youngest one just cannot stop eating off my plate. It's too cute. You know, last night we had breakfast for dinner and she's grabbing my arm for some eggs, for some whatever, you know, and I decided I can't give up my toast. That I just cannot let go of. My toast I just, with the jelly on it and the butter, I just, I just looked at it. It's like, yeah, no, you, you don't need any of that. And, and I think about the first time that it happened, like when we first sat her in the high chair, and, it, and she actually ate with us, I, you could just see the excitement on her. You could see how excited she was just to be a part of the whole thing. Like she was looking at her sisters. She was looking, she was just all over the place. Like, oh, wow. What, hey, this is what we do. Hey, how you doing? You know, <laughs> just looking at everybody, just having a great time. And, and, and then after a couple of times that we did this, right, like you could tell her, her wheels were turning in her mind. She started seeing us like, huh, that's a nice plate my sister got. That's a nice plate of food mommy got. Look at that colorful plate of food daddy got. And look at what I got. You know, at the time she's eating like little rice husk and and, and, and little snack stuff and these pouches with, with all these mint stuff. And she's like, that ain't what they eating. And you can see the wheels turning. And then one day it was like, no, 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 no. She started just throwing stuff off her off a high chair. No, I want that. I want what's in front of you. And every time she sits right next to me, she pulls on my arm when she wants more. So, so she's sitting right there, just grabbing at my arm. You know, I'm, I'm quickly seeing as cute as it is, how annoying it is about to become because I, you know, now, <laughs> like yesterday, I wanted to give up no bacon and no toast, you know, now, I mean, what's this going to come to, you know, I, I go out to Popeye's, now my fries is, is at the mercy, the mashed potatoes, I got to give her some, everything now, I got to start getting extra so I can make sure I have enough, you know, <laughs> it might sound selfish as a parent, but hey, if I have the means to get extra, let's get you extra, you know. My dad taught me. He said, uh, "Boy, don't 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 eat off my plate. If you wanted some, just tell me. I get your own, you know." And and I guess since she can't really talk yet, I guess this doesn't apply. But 
I thought that was pretty funny. And, you know, I don't know y'all thoughts on it. I'm sure y'all went through it or are going through it now. But I, I think it's the cutest thing. And, and that that's what I've noticed, especially this week, as uh, every single day she's grabbing at my food. Yeah, I've noticed the uh, same thing, especially with Simone. My daughter is um, two years old right now. She'll be three in October. And she eats everything. The, the only thing that she doesn't like um, she doesn't like Brussels sprouts. Um, that's about it. But she loves everything else. She loves spicy food. Even when it hurt, makes her tear up a little bit. She'll still come right back for it. She doesn't care. So it's to the point now where, honestly, I try to eat when she's asleep. <laughs> I wait until she has a nap and then get my eating done then. Because it's never enough until that plate is empty. She will keep oh, yeah. pulling my arm, and actually, Simone doesn't even pull my arm at this point because she's high enough to be able to reach the table, and so she'll just dig her hands into your food and just take some out. In fact, a couple of days ago, we got um, what is that? What is that uh place called? The the knockoff Chinese food place, Panda Express. Uh-huh. We had yeah, we had Panda Express, and uh, my wife had a bowl of chow mein. And Simone had a bowl of chow mein in front of her as well, but hers was half empty because she had already eaten some. And I guess she decided that her bowl should be full. So she started getting clumpfuls of chow mein and <laughs> putting it into her bowl and, yes, and yes. demanded more. <laughs> they want what you got. So <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So I understand ex- everything that you're talking about right now. <laughs> Jason, what about you? Your your kids are older, so I assume maybe you don't have to deal with that as much anymore. I I, I got to tell you, uh, well, just for the folks and whatnot who will be listening and hearing us uh, do this podcast, you're going to find out that a lot of us have apparently a lot of different uh, priorities when it comes to uh, <laughs> things like the food being stolen off my plate wasn't necessarily an issue at any point in time. Uh, most of my kids were scared to eat things and whatnot as they were getting older. But now, like, you know, with JD being like 11 years old now, she's like, she's, she's exploring things like I am now. So she'll always kind of ask me, what am I eating? And, and I always try to eat something a little different from time to time that they don't see. My son wants nothing to do with my food. He uh, he's strictly on the diet of McDonald's or Burger King nuggets and fries, especially anytime we leave the house. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Like he, I, I think he he believes that like, every time we get in the car, it's like automatic. Like okay, so I want six piece nugget and I want fries, extra fries actually. And and I'm just like, wait, I just started the car. Who said anything about McDonald's? What's going on? <laughs> he's got a lane and he's sticking to it. <laughs> yeah, right. The characters that my children have become and whatnot are, are it's astounding and it's amazing to me. But uh, food-wise, it was never really a big issue because most of my kids, and especially, well, you know, that's a whole other story. My wife and whatnot will eat off my plate regardless of what. Of course. Uh, yeah. And I get something to drink. She's sipping it, even if she has her own drink. Uh, <laughs> any any form of food or something. Uh, oh, you you already know all the the stereotypes of a, of a wife and whatnot. You pull into the drive through. Hey, baby, you want something? 
And he'd be, oh, I don't want nothing like that. Well, you still not. You don't want nothing. Because, you know, I know you like these Whoppers and stuff. I know you like it with extra mayo and pickles and stuff. So I can get you one because I'm, I'm going to get me one. I like, and they got them two for $6 over here at Burger King. So I, can, I can go ahead and I can get you one. No, I'm fine. I don't want that. Okay, well, fine. Can I have one Whopper? And as soon as I get that Whopper, <laughs> the thing that I love about my wife, and I'll say this right now, is the fact that she'll, she'll, I, I, she's my navigator. I'll take that whopper, I'll take that bag from the lady in the, in the window, and I'll give it to my wife, and she'll hold it on because she know I got to drive, I got to get us set up, and she know I'm hungry. So what she gonna do is, is she gonna take that burger, she gonna wrap it in a sort of a way where that burger is just out, so I can still hold it in the wrapper, so I'm not making a mess. She's mm. beautiful like that. She know I'm hungry. She want to get it set up for me. She ready. I got your burger ready, baby. You let me know when you in a certain kind of traffic and whatnot. When you when you comfortable, I'm gonna give you your burger so you can eat. So man, I said, man, I love my wife when she do that, boy. I get I get comfortable in traffic, man. Let me go get that burger from you. Here you go, here your burger, baby, and my burger. And before I take that bite. <laughs> Can, can I have a bite of that? Wait, wait. <laughs> but you just, like, you literally had it in your hand. Now, I appreciate the fact that she had enough courtesy to wait until I had it in my hand. But at the same time, not enough courtesy to let me bite it first. You know, I don't know if I'd even appreciate that. I think I'd rather you just go ahead and take a bite and wrap it up and then let me know I took a bite of it while you handed it to me so that at least I'm not interrupted when I'm, when I'm clearly ready to have my burger. Why you wait until I'm about to eat my burger before you let me know you changed your mind? Well, I got to tell you, like, I, I feel that with a certain amount of respect. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that, too. Like, I wonder how we can get on... How we get that copyrighted too? We gonna have to talk about that at a later time. Like how we come to these restaurants. Like look here, what I'm gonna need is my meal, and I'm gonna need a small <laughs> a, a snack nibble uh, a meal for my wife, which is gonna. We should do a skit of, like, of that. A little, when, a little, uh, a little corner piece cut, like a little triangle cut of a burger, just the way she like it. Two French fries and just two sips of soda. Now, I don't know how big your cup got to be to get two sips, but, you know, we can measure that out. That's what they got focus groups for. When we can start uh, going back out in public, we should we should do a skit of that. <laughs> I'm down for it. So what about you, Jason? Any um, particular stories? Well, I met my wife 13 years ago. It'll be 13 years next month. And uh, hey, we, we, we will have been married for eight years next month so it's been a very interesting journey to know someone for as long as you have and whatnot and know the intimate details of someone else's life and just to be a part of somebody else's and then just having kids i remember when we had our first it was it was a surprise to say the least and we had only been together for maybe about a year so mm -hmm. You know, things were interesting at the time. But uh, that moment that I had my daughter, it was like things kind of, things made sense. I knew where I wanted to be. I knew who I wanted to be with. And I know what I wanted to do. 
most of the other stuff involved and whatnot was still in the haze and whatnot about your whole life and making things happen and stuff. But it, it's fun and whatnot. It, it's cool to, to be in a mindset when you when you get that kid, when you get that first notification that you're going to have a kid. I, I, I waited a while before I decided that I wanted to have kids and stuff. So I was 27, 27, 28 years old when I had my first. And uh, I don't know. I've had a good turn. I've had a good drive. I've had two kids. Both of them seem to be on a really good track. My daughter's about to hit those teenage years, so that's going to become something new. <laughs> I'm glad you're going through that first. I'm going to watch how you handle this and learn I, from the mistakes you made. I, I truly believe that I'm going to make so many mistakes. <laughs> like the, the whole process of my daughter becoming a woman right now scares me like I, I, I'm seeing my little girl turning into this young adult but what's fun is, is that she's not right now at least she's not, she's not standoffish and I hope that I've created an atmosphere for her where she feels like she's able to talk to me and she doesn't have to keep anything from me. I understand that there are going to be personal things that are going to kind of like make her feel like shameful and stuff like that, and especially when it comes to, you know, female anatomy. And oh, yeah. Please talk to your mother about stuff. that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 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 That with that, I think that one particular situation is going to be the one that scares the mess out of me completely. I'm pretty sure y'all know what I'm talking about. And uh, according to our mother, she feels like that's like right around the corner at some point in time. So I have a I'm lot sure. of dread in me. And what's funny about that is, is like talking with my daughter about it. She's equally kind of dreading it. And not in a way that she's scared of what's going to happen, but she's more in the thought process of the fact that she's losing like her innocence, which was an interesting kind of conversation I was I actually got to have with her for a little bit, where it's like, I know that you're going to be going through some things that you're not going to directly understand, and they're not going to make you feel great or anything like that. And just the fact that she feels open enough that she will have a conversation with me about it, even though sometimes she doesn't. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of looking forward to that and hoping that our relationship will evolve from not just you know daddy and daughter, but you know daddy and big daughter, if that makes sense. Absolutely, so, absolutely. I'm dreading it, but I'm looking forward to it all at the same time because I just I don't know. I got faith in my daughter. I think she's going to be. I think she's going to be somebody important. You know what I mean? And I just want to do what I got to do and what not to help guide her to be what she wants to be. Whatever that may be. Not a story, but, you know, that's a little something mm -hmm. I'm going through at this point. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think the thing that has been on my mind the most recently is schooling. Um, my, Like I said before, my daughter is two right now, should be three in October, we had planned to put her in school at uh, in the fall. And now with COVID, everything seems to be completely in flux. I can't imagine uh, a three-year-old really being able to learn and develop trying to do schooling online and being taught by a teacher who's 
you know, an hour away. And seeing the developments regarding schooling, especially with Trump coming out and saying he's not going to, um, he's going against the CDC guidelines, not forcing schools to practice social distancing or do things to make sure students are properly protected when they're going to these institutions. It makes me even more worrisome, not only for the proper development of my child, but also just in general for her health. And then that's on top of the things that I'm sure every parent deals with when they're putting their child into schooling for the first time. You know, I'm used to, I personally know every single person who's watching um, my daughter. We don't, we've never had to put her in, in daycare or nursery or anything like that. She's either, she's being watched at all times by one set of grandparents. You know, either it's my Either it's my wife's parents or it's my parents or we're watching her. But we haven't had a situation where we had to depend upon strangers to watch our child. And we've been very, very fortunate about that. So being in this experience now where we're preparing ourselves to allow people we don't really know watch our child for a long time on a regular basis and just kind of have to trust that they're doing right by our daughter and that she's getting the care that she needs on top of everything else that 2020 has thrown into flux. It's just really scary. It's really scary. And it's been tough figuring out how we're going to deal with this situation towards the end of the year. And I feel like this has been scary for parents across the country, regardless of the age of their children. You know, if you're not figuring out how, how do you make sure your toddler is getting proper development? Then you're thinking about, man, my 12 year old is at home all day, every day, and I'm at work and I hope he or she is doing what they're supposed to be doing, but I can't really be sure. And just a few months ago, I was able to be sure that, Hey, I dropped this person off at school. They're going to stay here the entire time that I'm at my job. And then I can come pick them up afterwards and for a lot of people that's no longer the case right now so i think regarding our our entire schooling system it's just a really really scary time and nobody is sure when it's going to stabilize again and i don't have any i don't have any real answers but i just want to share that i i definitely share that fear with the rest of you all and i hope we get some real leadership and stabilization regarding the situation very very soon I definitely feel that, and you know, I and and, I, and I'm sure all you all feel the same way. Is that we we got a lot of great educators out there. We do, um, but but one thing that my that my wife said to me, and and it and it really hit home was, is that we we can't keep kids apart when they're when they're with us. I mean, they want to hug each other, especially if you got little ones. They want to hug each other, lick on each other, bite each other. They they do all types of silly things. And and to expect that that our our educators are going to be able to do something that that we cannot, you know, I, I think is is definitely a, a, a unrealistic request. I mean, so we we just got to understand if we do send our kids out in this world, social distancing is not going to happen. Um, trying to ask them to keep a mask over their faces is is just probably not going to happen, you know. And and I think. 
And I think, I mean, you, you can debate it on, on older kids, but I think even older kids, you know, they, they, they get this mindset of it'll be all right. Or, or as the day goes along, they, it just, the mask just starts slowly coming down off of their face until it's under their chin, you know, and, you know, I think it's, it's just so tough that I know for me right now, for this upcoming school year, it's just a no, I, I can't see myself sending my kids out there. Um, and I, so I definitely feel that sentiment makes me too nervous right now. I got to see some type of substantial treatment before I say these kids can go out the house. You know, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Uh, and my concern is, you know, if we don't put her back into schooling, if, if we don't put her into schooling this year, what does that do to our development? Because sure, you know, I was homeschooled as a child. So I know absolutely you can get a fantastic education being homeschooled. But I also understand that having her homeschooled and having her isolated in the home can stunt your development, especially when it comes to being able to communicate with people. And so my concern is stunting her, her development as far as communication. That, that's what um, part of my concern is as far as keeping her isolated at home. We have already had um, people, medical mm -hmm. professionals from the city come out and talk with her and say that while they feel like she's that extremely smart and picks up things very easily because she has not had the opportunity to really communicate with other kids her age and doesn't have dialogue with a lot of people. My wife and I are here all the time, but we're, honestly, we're not big talkers. We're not the type to just be talking all the time, all day long. They feel like her ability to conversate, not to she understands the words, and of course, she can repeat them back. But her ability to actually go back and forth with you in a full dialogue is not where it should be right now because she hasn't had that level of exposure. And I feel like that could potentially only get worse if we don't find a way to put her in the school system or some sort of setting where she's able to communicate with a wider swath of people. And my my problem with I, I agree with you that the, the school systems here are, are going to have real difficulty getting these kids to, to socially distance. But I don't feel like it's because it's an unfair ask. I, I, I believe it's because the way this disease hits and what it requires us to do is awful for the type of culture that we have. If you look at China, they're getting people, children included, to social distance with no problem. You see these videos of these kids entering the schools They've got their mask on. They use a sanitizer. They all stay away from each other at, at an appropriate distance. And it's not a problem because they've made the decision that this is what needs to happen for our lives. Our lives require us to get this done. And since it's required, we'll make it happen. And I don't feel like we've turned that corner in this country, especially in the black community. I, I live right here and I'm looking all around. Folks are out and about, no mask on, not practicing social distancing at all. And so I feel like it is going to be an issue, but it's it's not just the issue with whether or not our school systems can social distance. It's that us as a country and a culture, I feel like we have not embraced this the way that we should, even though people are dying left and right. I live in North Longdale. It was, people were catching COVID like wildfire out here. So I just don't understand how you can see 
so much devastation and so many lives that were negatively impacted by this, but still not take the appropriate steps to make sure we get out of this as quickly as possible. I, I don't get it. My biggest issue with the whole thing has been just information, which obviously we're not doing. We're getting so many different voices. We're getting so many different people who are saying these are the guidelines. We got so many people saying, well, these guidelines don't mean anything. It's it right now we're missing a whole lot of leadership when it comes to understanding and knowing what our steps can be to protect our kids. Instead, it's just leader, leaderless orange man talk and whatnot about just send them back to school, get everything back to the way it was supposed to be. But in the grand scheme, this was supposed to be the thing that galvanized people to say that, okay, well, maybe we need to be changing what we do overall. Because somewhere along the line and whatnot in the last two decades, it seemed that washing your hands and and being careful, even with this big old, well, I guess they would call it the liberal movement of the very the, the, the touching and the green movement and all this other stuff, you still got to tell people that they need to wash their hands on a regular basis. <laughs> so, basic like, sanitation. We felt we like we fell on this relaxation of hand sanitizer being the end all to be all. But people forgot to like wash their ass. <laughs> so, it, it's confusing to me and it's worrisome to me because it was something that I brought up with my wife was that, you know, I I I trust the people that my kids go to school and deal with. I I trust that staff. I trust the teachers. What I don't trust are other parents. Because when when Jada was in fourth or third grade, she, when she went, and this happens and whatnot pretty much every time a school year starts, but she came back home and we ended up having to take her to the doctor where she ended up with head, mouth, or head, they call it head, mouth, and foot disease or something. Some kind of thing is here where they get these little weird little shingles and whatnot pretty much all over their body. And wow. then she ended up giving that to Junior. So, and Junior <laughs> wasn't nothing but like a baby at that point. For most parents' aspects when it comes to school, it's the place to dump your kids off. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <clears throat> they get in their education and everything else like that. But for parents and whether nowadays it's hey, I gotta get rid of this kid so I can go do what I gotta do. So thank God for the school. <laughs> and then when when the schools close down, people lose their minds as they, 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 they actually have to turn into parents at some point in time. So my my deepest concern are those people who send their kids to school knowing they sick. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. literally your kid is walking into school with 102 fever and you drop them off at the front door like ain't nothing wrong because you got to go do what you got to do. So <laughs> my, th- that's my biggest thing. Like I wouldn't have a problem with sending my kids to school when, when the school year start because I, I, I saw what the teachers did during the pandemic. I saw what the school staff did during the pandemic. They did everything they can to lessen contact, even when they weren't at school. Like literally, like when we had to go and pick up their stuff and whatnot and everything like that. These people were sitting outside in little small little groups, separated from each other, waiting for parents to pull up, give out names, 
bring kids stuff out and whatnot, like little bags and stuff that they went and they cleaned before they put them in these bags. You know what I'm saying? So I, I trust the school. I, I trust the staff and I trust the teacher. I don't trust other parents. That's my biggest concern because they don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? They kid if you walk around with the bubonic plague and whatnot, they're going to send them to school because they, they don't want to take off work or something. You know what I mean? Right. It, it, it's this dump off place. It's that dump off mentality for most parents. And you see it all the time when you see them go up there and they argue with, with teachers and everything else like that, telling them what their responsibilities are in regards to dealing with their kids. And that's the shit that annoys me the most and whatnot. It's like, you're the parent. You, your, your, your opinion and everything you say is what lasts at the end of the day. The decisions that you make for your kids are what last. Now, the whole point of sending your kids to school is whatnot is for them to get their education, but it don't end when they get out your car and walk into the classroom door. Because one of the points I try to make exactly. right now with like my teachers, with, with the teachers that my kids have, they have all my personal information in their hand. When I go up and I meet my kids' teacher and whatnot, I'm writing down my phone number, email address, anything that they need and whatnot to contact me personally. If, if my kid is doing something weird or if my is a problem with my kid or something that happened to my kid, you gonna call me. You're not Let gonna me call know, my representative. Please. You're not and it, it, I think it, it's it I think people need to take a closer look at how they're parenting. And it's not to say that the people are bad parents. It's it's just saying that sometimes what's wrong with changing up the nature and how you're doing things? Because we all doing this pretty much, you know by the skin of our asses and shit. Don't nobody know what they're doing when they're raising people. <laughs> you, you take examples from the way you was raised, which probably wasn't the best things that happened in the world, but you feel it was because you made it to this point, so why not just right. teach it to them? Well, it's okay to fuck around and take on different patterns, and it's, it's, it's okay to take on different situations as they come. This pandemic, I feel like, was supposed to be a challenge to people. Like, yeah, whether you believe in it or not and whatnot, things are happening. So what are you going to do to change up your behavior? What are you going to do to change up how you do things? So until I see that change in people, that's what scares me the most. Like, it seems like the educators and everybody else have a plan. But we got Agent Orange and whatnot that ain't got plan one. Exactly. So, and, exactly. and, and that's what scares me the most. Like, you got the top people who are up there doing most of the arguing with each other, but you got people at Forest Road School who have taken on the challenge and found different ways, either doing with the government guidelines or state guidelines, or just going off of common sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, okay, maybe we shouldn't have everybody sitting directly next to each other. If we're going to have a classroom, okay, fine. Let's limit the number of classes. We have teachers. We have, we have substitutes. Let's, let's, let's exercise these issues. Let's find room. Hey, you know what? If, we, if, we, if we're dealing with going back in the fall, there's still going to be decent weather out here. We could do like the restaurants do. Let's put some tents up. Let's put these classrooms outside. Let's give these kids some different stimulation and whatnot. If, if you're coming up with a plan, I'm down. Especially if it seems like it's common sense. But if you just talking about throwing them back in the classroom like they was before. I mean, before they was out here getting sick because dumbass parents or whatnot was sending their sick-ass kids to school. That's, I'm not cool with that. 
to you. You give you give me a decent plan, I'm back. We're talking about a huge situation where where we're we're talking about we're talking about responses from all sides that are, that affect this educational thing, and and that's that's the tough part when you talk about China. They've been wearing masks for a hundred years at least. <laughs> They've been sort of sort of trying to condition to, and, I, and I'm not saying you know every day ain't a ain't a pandemic for them, but but they they. They've, I mean, like you said, right. they've conditioned their culture to to say and and you know that there's a certain way that they need to try to protect themselves and protect each other from from different things. And plus, I think there was the big smog issue too. But but um, you know, that's that's a whole nother thing. But but when we when we right. talk about this, it's right. it's 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 like you know, I, I, how do you point at any one thing and and solve it? You can't in this country. We We've made a, a long-standing history of politicizing every single issue that that comes across, and and this pandemic, we are we we three here know, and I'm sure a lot of our audience will know, this is not a political issue, and it shouldn't be. Um, we're talking about people's lives, and you know, even when I was talking about on our on our board, we were discussing this issue a little bit with regards to this pandemic. And it's, you know, during the time that we were locked down, there were so many things that needed to happen. One of them being a propaganda, a big media campaign on on wearing masks and social distancing and things like that. Then we have many politicians politicizing and arguing over over whether the use of masks were effective, whether, whether you know, hey, uh, it's going to get out anyway. This is not going to stop the virus the virus hey well the, the it wasn't meant to stop the virus that wasn't the whole point it was to slow it slow to spread it was to let our hospitals catch up so you know i i think right. you know for, for me the biggest issue and i think jason was pretty much saying is is empathy it's empathy it's it's understands being a part of society and saying hey you know we you know we whether we signed up for it or not unless you don't plan to leave the house for the rest of your life you need to consider other people that live in this world with you, and and I and I think you know that that's the biggest thing is that in America so far we're just not willing to do that. You know, um, there are many different places we can start, and maybe the schools is one of them. You know, where where we can start teaching our our kids a certain empathy and, and try to combat that from that level. But as Jason said, the parents got to teach it too. You know, uh, we got to reinforce it from all sides. So, uh, you know, it's looking the here and now. Like I said, I can't send my kids out in this. But, you know, <laughs> if, we can, if we can make some of these systemic changes and, and do some of these things as, as, as a general group, everyone's not going to agree. But, you know, if we can get those people who don't agree to form their own compound on the skirts of, of I don't care right. and have their own. Take, take the over there somewhere. Sure. Yeah, have your own space and do what you want to do. Don't vaccinate. Do whatever you want to do. But but be over there. If we can start right. doing that. That's your old so, then I, maybe Preferably I behind a mountain somewhere. Over there. Exactly. <laughs> I don't want them to have Wi-Fi either. Don't connect to my Wi-Fi. Have your own communication. Oh my God. <laughs> we we don't care what don't you're doing. Don't connect me with these people on any level. <laughs> Man, I don't I don't want to hear about what you got going on. As long as everybody in your compound doing what you're doing to keep that shit to yourself. Exactly. Be cool. Exactly. Yeah. I agree, brother. I agree. Well, thank you. I think this has been a, a great dialogue about what we are all 
uh, thinking about in regards to parenting. And I think it shows that we all brought up something a little different, but it's something that really all of us were thinking about anyway. And I feel like a lot of the people listening are probably thinking about as well. So we wanted to take a moment today because cancel culture has been in the news and been a really big topic. J.K. Rowland, who wrote all of the Harry Potter books, recently signed on to a letter with a bunch of other celebrities um, calling out cancel culture, saying that it's a negative thing for the country, and um, basically saying that it's something that we should be trying to combat. An equally aggressive force has said either that cancel culture doesn't really exist in the way that she's describing it, or that it's actually been a good thing for the country and has caused a lot of people with negative viewpoints to be called out and, and properly punished um, for trying to spread those views and get other people to agree with them. And I feel like this would be a good opportunity for us to talk about how, how do we as, as Black people feel about uh, cancer culture and how it's currently affecting the country. And Jason, I know this is something you feel uh, strongly about, so I'll let you go first. Oh, my God. Uh, okay. Where do I even start? All this behavior, all these things that people are doing is learned behavior. And the the process now is to cancel them. We're going to ruin their lives and whatnot so we can prove a point. Or the lesson in it is to detour other people from doing it because we'll, we'll ruin your life basically. At least that's what I get from it. Now, this is, this ain't me jumping off of the subject, but it's going to lead into it. From what I understand on how terroristic society is formed, ISIS, you know, whatever other little cabals and whatnot that Eastern culture has developed in response to Western culture invading it. All these people, like even with the, the Muslim, this, this Muslim thing and whatnot, the last four years with your boy Trump and whatnot, where you got people shooting up clubs, you got people shooting at mosques and all this other stuff like that. All these people at one point in time were okay. They were fine. They were living their regular lives when something happened that radicalized these people. Something, something to a point that it, it, it bothered them internally and emotionally where they felt that they needed to kill people in order to respond to what happened to them. Cancel culture. I'm surprised we called it a culture because it, it sounds fucking stupid to me. Your solution for stopping people who have racist thoughts or motivations, the, all this information that was learned by them is to cancel them. How do you radicalize somebody? How do you, how, did, how does that help the situation in any way? How do I take someone who has their heart filled with hate just simply because of the way they were educated and the way they were brought up and what they that was put into their brain. How does ruining their lives 
fix that? How does that make anything any better? Because at that point, at what what point are these people that we're supposedly canceling and whatnot radicalizing other people and telling them, hey, this could happen to you? Did you see what the leftists did to me? You know, it's always fucking political and shit. But what's why are we not educating people? Why are we not trying to change people's minds? I know we don't want to. I know it's hard to do. I know that shit can be stressful at times and some people just can't handle dealing with the kind of hate that people have learned. And I get it. There's a lot of folks that's just far the fuck gone. But we talking about a broad out in the park with her dog about to call the police on a black man. We're talking about a lady who called in the police and whatnot on a family barbecuing in the park. We ruining their lives. We can't teach them no better. We can't, we can't give them an opportunity to learn from their mistakes and whatnot without completely destroying their lives. At, at, at what point in time does evil beget evil? You know what I mean? Like It feels like it's this reversal of roles now from like the 70s and 80s where people were persecuted. Like if you were gay, you had to keep that, you had to keep that a secret above everything. If you was black, you had to you had to put on your perfect white face, otherwise they was gonna see you as a nigga. You know what I mean? I feel like it's this complete reversal of roles now where black, gay, Hispanic, whoever the case may be, like we're the bullies now. They're the bullies. And they're able to put these people who were putting them in their place in their place now. You know what I mean? And I don't see how that's gonna lead to anything good. So I got to be honest with you, brother. I feel completely differently about it. Um, I would understand your perspective if this was new. Like maybe if these type of incidents and issues had just started happening within the last couple of years and we were trying to wrestle as a society with how to deal with them. But folks using calling the police as a fear tactic with black people is something that's been happening for hundreds of years. You know, let's not forget that the civil rights movement, the, the, the spark that really made people say, okay, this has absolutely got to change was seeing Tillman in that box and his, and the picture of him splattered on the front page after a white woman uh, told a bunch of uh, white men that he had raped her or, or taught her or, or whatever happened in that particular situation. So this idea that you you can you can intimidate black people by telling this separate force, hey, he did such and such, is not something new. And the reason that this woman in Central Park and all these other people have felt comfortable doing that is not just a lack of education about racism. It's not just ignorance. It's also that they're very, very well educated that historically white people have been able to get away with that. Historically, white people have been able to do things like that and nothing has happened to them. The woman who falsely accused Tillman died an old woman. She was never jailed. Nothing ever happened to her. Even the two men who lynched him, I I think uh, eventually they went to jail, but it was years after the fact. So not only these people are not punished, we die and and there's no restitution. There's no justice. Let's not act like calling the police. Well, they're just going to give this guy a ticket. When you call the police on a black man, especially being a white woman saying that I feel threatened 
by this black man and then the police get involved, there's a possibility of his life being negatively impacted in a very, very permanent way. We've seen those type of situations on camera time and time again. So let's not act like calling the police is some little thing. So sooner or later, I feel like you've got to show these people your life is going to be negatively impacted if you continue to put black people in this situation. It is 2020. We are past the time where you can call the white mob to come lynch somebody and, not, and go back home like nothing ever happened, like everything's okay. To try to say that evil begets evil and that somehow we're the supremacists now because we don't want to tolerate being you being brutalized in this matter, to me, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense at all. It's been 400 years now of first 200 years of us being completely separated from white people, not able to use the same fountains, beaten and murdered by the police, all types of horrible things happening to us. And now we're moving into this new era where they're trying to find new ways of doing the same things. So, okay, you can use the same fountain as us and we won't directly enslave you, but we'll jail as many of you as, you can, as we can. We'll ticket as many of you as we can. We'll basically pull all the money we can out of your community in order to prop our own communities up. So they're finding different ways to do the same things that they've been doing and I feel like sooner or later you have to show that there's a call for that, that we're that we're no longer going to tolerate that type of behavior. And to me, cancer culture is part of what's coming out of that. And I feel like the same, the same rage, the same feeling of this is no longer something we're willing to deal with, that that comes from cancer culture, is the exact same reason we've got millions of people out in the street saying that we're no longer going to tolerate police brutality. We didn't have cancer culture before because folks didn't care enough before. And because they didn't care enough, black people will continue to be brutalized and continue to experience what we've been experiencing. Now folks care. You're right. Now folks are hypersensitive. It's true. And out of that comes a feeling of there are some things that were tolerated before that will no longer be tolerated whatsoever. And I don't see that as a negative, I see how there have been specific situations where that has come out in a negative way. I don't believe that you should be fired from your job and have your life permanently negatively impacted just because you said an idea that nobody else agrees with. But at the same time, I think we've seen enough of the opposite where you can say and do whatever you want and everybody's just going to look the other way like it's okay. Um, you know, I, I gotta say, and and I mean, I see, I see both of you all's points, and I, and I agree partially with both of you. I said a long time ago, especially when that Starbucks incident came out with the with the guys who seemingly weren't allowed to go to the bathroom. You know, I, I said then is that they knew that 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 store manager or or employee or, or whoever she was what was like that, and they did nothing. And and I think when we fired them. I do think we 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 take the we take the pressure then off of the company to to make sure that they are instilling proper practices with their employees. They knew that employee was like that, and they did nothing until it became a, a viral news segment, right? Um, I think when it comes to cancel culture, we have to look at we have to look at the different types that are out there. When you talk about cancel culture, we're talking about a the Confederate flag. 
you know, we, we have to stop letting that be a national monument that's put out there. This flag, let's just say it, it was supported on national level. I mean, it really was. Presidents, past presidents, past whoever, Democrat and Republican both, to denounce these hate groups that are out there. They've done nothing. They've let them operate with immunity for, for the most part. You know, so I, I think that type of cancel culture needs to happen. Now, what you have in your basement uh, or or what you might bring outside as a personal reference, you know, hey, to a certain extent, we have our freedom of speech, right? But it should not be accepted to the point where at NASCAR, they can just openly on TV display this flag as much as they have. So so that type of cancer culture to me is necessary. Now, now when we go to the firings, like I said, the reason I... I I, I don't care that these people get fired, but what I do care about is that these companies are left off the hook, like I said. And I think companies who do business in our communities, in our neighborhoods, I think they have a responsibility to teach their employees the right way. And all we do when we fire them is we pass the problem on to the next person. Because I, I've been on the position of, of firing people before, and I know how it works. They do not pass along the information of why this person was terminated. They they don't even pass along the information that the person was terminated. They just say they were employed from this date to that date. And they give you no further information in a lot of he cases. He just gone. Right. He just gone. So 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 this person will go the next day and get another job and do the same things that they were doing before. And to Jason's point, maybe even worse. Because you know now they now they see it as a a blame on 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 black people or or gay people or whoever else they were they were targeted on now now I I think I think when we look at this we do have to look at the education of people it, this is what's really important because I, I've been researching education a great deal and and here's what I found out is that when we talk about slavery slavery jim crow a lot of places more than you think are going around teaching that this was an arrangement <laughs> that this was an agreement they have pictures and textbooks of of africans with suitcases shaking hands with slave owners as if this was some type of thing that we that we were trying to do you know they they are not teaching this as a so so in a lot of people's minds this is not as big a deal as we're making out to be in a lot of people's minds and when we think about seeing some of these things on social media it, they their excuse and their thing is always going to be is that uh, you know one black man gets hurt by the police right but there are millions and millions of traffic stops daily so in their minds we're talking about a few instances versus the billion times that people are pulled over in, in all of existence so we got to remember they're looking at it from a different viewpoint and angle and it goes back to the education of people go ahead jason i could tell you disagreed with me strongly <laughs> uh, it's not that i disagree with you strongly i mean i i even get your your point of it but it it turns into a question of now is this like we're tired of it. I I understand that. So now we're talking about revenge at this point. You know what I mean? Like it's I don't know. I I I still think about like is I, it revenge? I, it it kind of feels that way to me. Like we we were we because were... isn't it the way it should have always been? Shouldn't you always have been punished if you purposefully threatened to call nine one one for people and tell the cops lies? 
knowing that that could end up having that person unfairly jailed or possibly even harmed. Should, isn't that always something that should have been punished in some sort of way? Well, I mean, in the grand scheme of it all, you know, white folks ain't only just called the police on black people. You know what I mean? Like, they do this shit in their neighborhoods all the time. They, they call the police on each other because they fucking, their grass is too high. Or fucking, you know what I mean? Like, they, 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 they don't the fuck same, around though. and build something on the house. But the process of it and whatnot, the, the engagement of it, like, do I see it as a privileged thing? In certain situations, yeah. In other situations, do I see it as somebody literally trying to get somebody hurt or killed? Yeah, I see that. So I'm just trying to figure out, like, are we are we handling every one of these situations straight across the board the same way every time? You know what I mean? Because I don't see I don't see an easier way to make someone hate someone better. You know what I mean? It, it, some of this shit is just fear. It's un, it's unfounded fear, but uh-huh. it's it's situations where. It's just it's it's stupidity. It's 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 just bad fucking decisions. You know what I mean? And it's does someone deserve to have their life completely taken away from it because of mistake? I think we gotta put the pressure on on our departments and our and our district attorneys and things like that to prosecute these people who decide that they're gonna just call the police. And I think that's where it, it really needs to go. And I mean, to speak on the on the revenge part, you know, yeah, yeah, it, it might be some revenge. But, you know, in all honesty, if our governments were doing what they were supposed to do to, to make this thing right or to go in the right direction, we wouldn't even have to have this conversation. Right. There's always going to be some hate around there. But but our governments have done nothing. They have done nothing. We should we, we don't know what's going to how it's going to how it's going to butterfly out. But we should be understanding that it is going to butterfly out into ways that we have no clue uh, <laughs> of how it's going to go. And I think this cancel culture is the perfect example of that. You know, it, it's, hey, now now that we got social media and we can use it to find these people, which is very easy now to find a person. I mean, why are these people who want to do this keep posting their jobs on, on social media if they know they want it, they got these tendencies, right? <laughs> If you and know you're racist, that, that, that you better be you. on the low. And that, that tells you how comfortable they are with it, too, at the same time, which is where I see some more is pouring in it, too. But I just, I don't know. It, 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 feels like the, it feels like a radical move that says, yes, we're tired of it, and we're going to go after you just like you go after us. But that's not really true. None of these people have been, and none of these people have been killed. None of these people have been physically maimed. And but I mean, honest, that... these people have even been arrested. So you can't even say that mm-hmm. we're going after them the same way that they're going after us. At the end of the day, what has happened is these people have been shamed and they've lost their job. So to me, you can't say we're going after them the way they're going after us. At the end of the day, these governments are not, like Hudson just said, these governments are not doing anything to curtail this. So people are doing the only thing that they really have the option to do. Publicly shame you, call your employer. I don't I don't totally disagree with your point on it cuz I see it. I do see. It. I get it. It's it's just something inherent in me that I just got a feeling like like nothing good will come from. I think this is a perfect example of where there's laws on the books 
but they they find a, they find a slick way around in, in enforcing the laws. So it, it's mm-hmm. filing a, a police report. Well, well, the thing is, you know, before a, a major incident happened, like someone was was killed or, or brutally beaten, was there going to be a police report? You know, so they just say we responded to a call and it was unfounded and never actually make a, a an official report on the incident. So then there's no charge to file, right? It, it's, so there's slick ways around it. It's sort of like the banning chokeholds. Well, you know, personally, I think an officer should have a chokehold in his, in his arsenal if he feels as if his life is in danger. See, the problem with canceling chokeholds is that murder is already illegal. So if you process the murder, <laughs> process the situation as a murder, we shouldn't have to ban chokeholds specifically. So I think this is where, where people get around those laws and enforcing them, where now we're, we're trying to make a specifically worded Special law laws. To, to say, well, if we come to respond to something. I would think the police would be upset if they had to waste their times in the first place. So I would think they would want to to make sure that this person knows not to ever do it again. Yeah. To be honest with you, instead of banning chokeholds, I would love to see a law put on the books, a, a felony law put on the books, specifically designed around cops, that if they get fired because of a issue regarding force and are shown that they don't know how to use force properly, that they can no longer have a job that allows them to have a gun. What happens all too often is these cops, they get fired from their department and then they just go get the same type of job in some little suburb somewhere, you know, and they've got a gun and a badge all over again and they can do the same thing all over again. That's I feel exactly like what I mean by just passing the problem. Yeah, exactly. 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 Yeah. If you get fired from that job because you because it, it's been shown you should not have a gun then you should not be able to go get another job that allows you to have a gun. You need to be one of them little mall cops where you got a little baton and a badge, but but that's it. A little mace on your side, and maybe not even that. But that's about it. If a gun needs to be involved, you should be forced to call someone else because you've shown that, hey, you really shouldn't have a gun at your side. All right, everyone. I want to thank you for joining us here at the SJH Man Cave. We appreciate you spending time with us today. If you are a Black business owner and would like to get featured as our Business of the Week, please make sure to send an email to info at sjhmancave.com. Any of our listeners can also get a hold of us there as well. Remember that you can see this and other videos on YouTube at SJH Man Cave. Once you're there, please hit that subscribe button. You can also like, share, and follow us on Facebook at SJH Podcast Family. I would like to thank my two fellow podcasters, Jason and Hudson, for keeping it real. Until next time, this is your host, Samori, signing off.